0: Welcome to the Weird Warriors Podcast. I'm Max. I'm Rich. On this podcast, we will be discussing the Weird War Tales comic book published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. On this episode, we'll be looking at Weird War Tales number six. But first, we have a bit of retroactive history to discuss. And uh, I'll take the first one. We looked into this ad last time around for the Razzie Racers cars. They're like these little balloon-powered toy cars. And I was desperate to find something on these these toys online, you know, YouTube, anything. And I I found no luck, you know, like... uh, I was desperate uh, looking around and like, I needed to know, like, do these things make little fart noises as they skitter across the floor? You know these are important issues to research. So I found one loose car for sale, loose Razzie racer on eBay for $350 and one YouTube video that pretty much just talked about how hard it is to find anything out about these things on the internet. So Razzie Racers, if you've got them, apparently you can charge quite a bit on eBay and uh, maybe no one will buy it, Uh, (laughs) but they're just as mysterious as I thought. you know, the, the, like i said the one video i found was someone else throwing their hands up saying why are these so darn mysterious so there's that bit and uh rich has one other item of retroactive history to discuss as well
1: yeah well, i um we were talking about the uh, the sam glansman uh, battle diary uh, last time and my whole take of it at the time was like I really don't want to cut these things out of a perfectly good comic book just to see what this thing's going to look like but hey you know what this is the 21st century there's this wonderful thing called scanners so that's what I did I scanned the battle diorama I cut it out put construction paper on the backside. And, you know, Eliminated all the dotted lines and assembled it. The cutout panel is in the front, and the background panel curves around in a semicircle behind it. And you know what? It actually looks better than I thought it would. It's, it's, it's a pretty sharp look. I think I'm going to actually be making all these things as we go throughout the the Weird War time. Uh, titles and these things uh, show up in in issues but uh yeah i took some pictures of it and those will be on the facebook page if you want to see what they look like so yeah at the time of
0: this recording we'll be um we'll be getting a facebook page ready uh called the weird warriors podcast on facebook and uh there'll be there'll be a twitter account for the show and everything all 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 things in their time yeah we we can't have rich making these dioramas and not showing them off to people i mean like (laughs) It has to happen. Well, we'll have tons of stuff like that, you know, covers and and everything. But I saw I saw a picture of this, and it does look pretty cool. I got to say, we we kind of bagged on the concept when we covered the issue, but it was it was Glansman who drew it, right? Yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, like we should have known he was not going to turn in. Uh, he was not going to work on a project for something that was going to look stupid. That's our retroactive history. And uh, Rich, I'm going to let you take the cover detail for this one.
1: Okay. Well, it's. It's Kubert, of course, because who else does uh, the covers of the DC war books? It's uh, dated from August of 1972, released July-August 1972. And there's no more of that six spine-tingling issue hoo-ha, you know, that they had on the top of the first uh, first five issues. But DC is now first in comics, best in comics. The comic is cheaper, now only 20 cents, but it's also thinner. Uh, there's a half-page half-page blurb inside talking about the process of increasing the price from $0.15 cents to $0.25, cents, but giving the reader 16 pages of reprint material to make up for it. Now, most of the reprint material is going to be going away, and they cut the price of nickel. Marketing! The helmeted skull that adorns the APO Weird War letter page appears on the cover for the first time, right next to the title. So they got a mascot or additional logo piece now. Uh, The cover itself, how about that, the cover itself, has a group of GIs in the background extracting themselves from some rubble. One's yelling, the bombing is over, anybody hurt? And the GI is sitting in the crater in the foreground replies, everything okay here, but through tears in his uniform and facial skin, you see he's actually a robot. One of his metal hands has even been blown off and is barely attached by dangling wires. So, this is, you know, lunging right into the sci fi aspect of it, you know. Just, yeah if, you, if you're yeah. a robot guy i have a feeling this is going to be a guy uh, your issue
0: i was kind of psyched to see the cover of this one because i remember a weird war from much further down the tracks where it's like just crazy stuff in every single story and seeing like an honest to goodness robot soldier on the cover i'm like okay we're digging in i love it you know I'm ready
1: is- this is the original GI Combat uh, GI Robot, GI Robot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that too because I definitely remember Jake, you know, the GI Robot from from my period, my era of, of weird war and I was like this has Fortunately, to those,
1: those comics are about uh about 100 issues down the pike. It's going to be a little while. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, well we'll get there by the time <laughs> we're we're both like in retirement homes or something like that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Exactly. But, um, as, as far as commendations are concerned, I mean, uh, the um, by sh- showing metal underneath the GI's face, like uh, it's, it's not Terminator-esque almost. It's like Kubert's ensuring that the viewer knows that the GI isn't a human with artificial arms and legs. So it's it's a, it's a pretty nice touch, actually.
0: Yeah, that, that right there. You're, you're absolutely right. That's the genius of Kubert. Is like storytelling is part of the drawing. Like you could have just thought, okay, this this guy's a cyborg. He's got artificial limbs but nope the skin is covering a partial metal skull so you know he gets that done without having to belabor it it's just sitting there for you to see now my favorite part of the cover that i want to call out deals with that face it's the smirk on the wounded gi robot's face um like he's sitting there kind of just good-naturedly saying, everything okay here? And he's just sort of smirking like a hook. And I'm thinking from the viewpoint of soldiers that look down on him and see him eventually, and he's just sitting there smiling all disarmingly goofy, that's going to look pretty disturbing real quickly. You know, like you got half a fleshy face smiling up at you like a hook, and the rest is like this robotic metal skull, you know? So I like that touch myself. It, it kind of got across like the the creepiness that I expect out of Weird War. You know, again, this was like, I saw, like, I felt like I was coming home a bit to the Weird War comics I remembered. So I like that touch a lot.
1: It's actually starting to get a little bit weird. (laughs) How
0: about that? And, and speaking of robots, we're gonna dive into the first story, or not the first story, the uh, the framing sequence in this issue. I'll I'll kick it off. It is called Robots, and it's by Bob Haney and Alex Toth, the team from last time, you know, from the last framing sequence. You know, so Qbert keeps getting a break from the framing sequences for an issue here. And as far as synopsis goes, uh, it uh, goes a little something like this: Two GIs are retreating through a blasted village at night as artillery shells start raining down on them. They dive into a hole and find a third GI already there. As shells hammer the remains of the village, one of the first two GIs laments that he sometimes wishes he wasn't made of flesh and blood so he couldn't get hurt. The other GI comments that he'd heard a crazy rumor that the enemy was using robot soldiers on the right flank. How would we stand up to them? They never get tired, hungry, or scared. The third GI lights a cigarette, dismisses it. Besides, If the enemy has robots, we probably have them too. But they won't let the thought go. They have no heart, no feeling. How could you have a robot for a buddy? Unable to raise anyone on the radio, the soldiers decide to stay where they are until some enemy robots kick them out. The third GI simply continues to say that robots can be beat like anything else with enough TNT. I've even heard a few stories. Listen. And that listen is like, Becoming such a tagline for these framing sequences like you know come over here and listen to my story so that's the synopsis um i don't think we have a killjoy here so i'll let rich uh launch into some commendations for this one
1: yeah the, the, the thing that came across uh me on this story is, is it's it's the last panel in the framing sequence when you know the uh the third gi is like i've even heard a few stories listen well he's Starting up with the storytelling, as German soldiers are emerging from the flaming ruins of the village and are advancing up towards them. I'm sorry, that's a hell of a time to start, start spinning yards. <laughs> so I think you would have more concern, uh, more uh, important things to be concerned about at that particular moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, but this guy the whole time he's been like the cool, calm guy who's just sort of lighting up a cigarette and saying, "Ah, don't worry about them robots. You just need to hit them hard enough and they'll fall down." He's like that. That sort of that sort of goes in with his. character character like he's not phased by any of this and you know for me as uh, of course as far as commendations this is Alex Toth art every panel of it is incredible Uh, but we we went on and on about that last time so I'm you know we're both drilling down a little more specific for this one and for mine it's the second page the third panel again the sound effect work here is awesome there's this sound effect that visibly shatters as it impacts the ground and thereby creates the big blam sound effect that's in a ring in the air above it. So you have one sound effect creating the other. It's just pure masterful craftsmanship in comics. I love that stuff. That's what really got me. But yeah, the entire thing is it's, it's Alex Toth people. It's, 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 amazing to look at. And and Haney actually does a great job with the dialogue and the different personalities of the soldiers. It's a great little short framing sequence. I'm, I'm in. I'm ready for robots. So what do we got?
1: Okay. Well, the first story, it appears to be an original because I can't find any references to it anywhere. It's called Pawns. It's written by Marvin Wolfman and art by Frank Thorne. And the synopsis is two bored human generals are playing chess under large TV Screens of robot warfare. Robot pawns battle while humans sit back unbothered for 200 years. Robots were built to be destroyed to die in the place of humans. One of the generals boards an observation skimmer to inspect the battlefield. His robot army is decimating the enemy robot army, which provides cover fire as their leader repairs itself and the general is amazed at the display of emotion they appear to have for each other. The skimmer is suddenly shot down and the general bails out in a jetpack. He wakes up a captive to the robots who aren't very accommodating to his demands. An incoming missile takes out half the robots, which causes the robot NCO to snap. It attacks the general, blaming him for the war and demanding to know why humans are playing this destructive game. General has no answers. The fighting has gone on so long, they don't know how to live any other way. The robots turn the tables, And the story ends with robot generals playing chess under large TV screens of human warfare. They wonder how long the war will last now that people are fighting and dying. Check and mate. Love it. So I, I, I nitpick. You know the the, the, the whole killjoy was here moment. I always I always nitpick the the stories that start off in the framing sequence that take place in the future. You know, it's just like, come on, man. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, this one I could give you because he could have heard it as a sci-fi story. Someone told him they did have science fiction back then. But it's still it's that's still me stretching as hard as I can to make that that gap work. <laughs> But um, well, yeah. yeah. This,
1: this one, at least, it's it's it, you you could play the sci-fi game. I mean, some of the ones we've we've talked about in the past, where it's like a story that takes place in the it, it specifically takes place in the Korean War, something that's like seven years you know down the pike.
0: Yeah, it's like real <laughs> future events as opposed yeah, to made down up.
1: That road for that particular one. But um, the commendations, it's you know robot talking one oh one. You know the square word balloons or the talking robots with the hyphens between each word. You could practically hear it such a 70s representation of robots
0: (laughs) yeah that very computerized you know tweaky from buck rogers almost even though i guess he was a little more human sounding but yeah uh, again just using the medium of comics to get across an idea like it to get across the sound of an idea like that 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 you're dead on with that that's that's the kind of stuff i love to see and for me I love seeing Frank Thorne's art again. He was in a previous issue we covered. And once again, I was only, before we started really digging into these issues, familiar with his stuff from like Red Sonia and Sword and Sorcery stuff. So there's that. But what really got me was the nature of the ending of this story. It doesn't seem as simple when I read it a few times as now the robots fight their own war using humans as pawns. It's more like, for me, the robots decided to force the humans to kill each other while they chill out, watch the fleshlings die and play chess. It's that reading of the ending that makes me like the robots even more. It's like, they obviously don't care about this war. And they're like, see how you guys like fighting for a while, you know? And then, the, the you know, that comment on how long will the war last now that humans are fighting it, is they know that these fragile creatures are going to kill each other and they're just hanging out. So I like that. I like seeing Marv Wolfman here. Uh, some very early work by him, because of course I was familiar with him from writing The Avengers with George Perez, and then they jumped over to save DC Comics with the new Teen Titans in 1980. So, uh, seeing early Marv Wolfman work like this and enjoying it so much was also really cool for me. I mean, that's that's a lot of commendations, but what can I say? Like the, the the first big sci-fi story in Weird War, I was I was all geared up for every panel of this. It looks great, reads great. It's a lot of fun. So that's that's me on that. Um, the second story in the issue is called. Goliath of the Western Front. It's by Bob Haney, with art by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito, that team. And it's a reprinted cover story of Star Spangled War Stories 93 from October 1960. And this is a longer story. Uh, The synopsis of this one is as follows. Davy is new to King Company and keeps getting ragged on about his height. Davy's sergeant weighs in and tells the unit about the ancient tale of David and Goliath. And we all know it, a good little man can take a big man if he uses his head and finds the big guy's weak spot. He still gets picked on and is sent out on point, on patrol, fuming. At the same time, the Germans launch Operation Goliath. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, coincidentally, <laughs> to go after uh, poor Davy. So they've staged tanks and shock troops to exploit a breakthrough by their super weapon. A towering robot dressed as a German soldier with glowing red eyes under its helmet. Now, this thing is huge. It's uh, what, like uh, 100 feet tall at least? And uh, it's, you're, it's a German soldier in a giant robot form, uniform and all. So Hitler is even following this attack at his headquarters. Davey obviously doesn't believe his eyes when he sees this monster coming towards him and runs back to his unit. A U.S. fighter plane attacks and is swatted out of the sky with the robot's rifle butt. It's also carrying a gigantic rifle. This this thing is... It's just a giant robot soldier, for real. It's wearing boots. Artillery is summoned, and it dodges the shells. A sensor in the behemoth's shoes sets off anti-tank mines before it steps on them. Davy takes a ride on the blades of a Dutch windmill with the sergeant to fire a bazooka round at point-blank range into the robot's face. No go. It wrecks the windmill and kills the sergeant. King Company sweeps across a canal, Hoping underwater traps will be the Goliath's downfall. Wrong again. It seems like the only GI the robot is chasing is little Davy, who twists his ankle in pure horror movie fashion and goes down. Desperately, Davy opens fire with his Tommy gun, yelling, Where's your weak spot, Mr. Big Shot? His rounds rake across the sole of the uplifted giant's foot, finding that weak spot and breaking a tiny electronic tube, which shuts the Goliath down and sends it crashing to the ground. Luckily, not right on top of Davy. The German attack is called off. Hitler has a fit. And Davy is one of the guys as King Company counterattacks. So there we go. That's that's Davy and Operation Goliath. You wanna? Uh, <laughs> you don't have a killjoy, but I kind of do for this one. I'm just saying, holy Silver Age supervillain plot. Okay. So you know how this thing has a weak point in its foot. Why? Okay. Fine. But now you know that the enemy has found out about it, and you cancel the whole project. I mean. Yeah, the robot looks expensive and impossible using 1940s tech, but come on Hitler, don't be such a quitter. Like the the whole plan of making one robot with how expensive that must have been and sending it out and then having it have a weakness in its foot. Where one bullet can shatter one tube and the whole thing shuts down—that's that's Death Star level fragile, you know. But you know, still fun story. I I enjoyed the heck out of it. But I was like, man, I felt like I was reading a Silver Age superhero comic. So now we'll move. We can move on to stuff we uh we we liked more about the story. I'll let you take that one.
1: Uh, I'm gonna for for commendations. I'm actually gonna go a route that I've never gone before, and I'm gonna take a swipe at the at the original um, the cover of uh, star spangled war stories 93 lies to you it's, it's implying that the goliath is human it's trying to trap two gi's with its helmet complete with swastika on it and wearing a swastika signet ring just in case you're confused who the bad guy was so you like you get the thing it's like oh wow it's a giant and you open it up it it's it's a robot i'm like what the you're, you're lying to me why are you lying? I mean, don't lie
0: to me. Well, see, in the older book, they didn't want to hit you over the head with too much weirdness and craziness, you know, so just a giant Nazi soldier, they've done that before. And I'm surprised they held back and didn't have, like, him have a little swastika manicure going on. actually,
1: you know, actually, I'm flipping through the comic right now. And, um, you know, full disclosure, they, it looks like they actually uh, chopped out a, a page – of the story because in the original a, a tank engages the uh, the uh
0: the German robot and he steps on it. <laughs> oh well there goes your weakness in the bottom of the foot. <laughs> and, and then takes helmet it takes the
1: and he he, he he drops the helmet on the um on King Company. You know try <laughs> to crush him or scoop him up or capture him or whatever else like that.
0: So yeah.
1: so for whatever reason, they apparently just decided they had to cut out one page of the story. And it's, it's, it's funny, and again, in the original, the, the helmet is still laying on the ground when the, uh, when the U.S. fighter plane attacks it. But in the Weird War Tale one, they've edited out the, the, the helmet on the ground, and someone just redrew it on the robot's
0: head. <laughs> oh, they actually paid attention to that much continuity and redrew the helmet. That's cool
1: yeah oh, and, and and every in every scene where the helmet is supposed to be on the ground someone redrew
0: it back where it was supposed to be oh that's okay. kind of cool actually like because uh, i would thought they would just chop that page for space concerns or something and just move on and not explain it but but that's neat that they put okay. in the effort
1: Full disclosure I, I missed that somehow when i was when i was reading the original to compare it to this that, oh well
0: hey I that's why try. you got the books out on the I table during out. the show <laughs> So for me, I wondered something um, for his, for my commendation. Is this the first appearance of Hitler in Weird War Tales?
1: I believe so. I don't recall ever, ever seen him in any other book.
0: Yeah, I mean, for, for me, that was a huge moment. Like, ah! I don't think we actually have seen Hitler yet. And there he is, and he's flipping out, losing his mind. So that was cool. And uh, also the Sarge telling the story of David and Goliath while using military comparisons for elements of the story, like his spear was as big as a stoka. You know, that reminded me of the Family Guy episode with the leaf-peeping cab driver from New York City up in Quahog. Like, you know, those leaves, they are as orange as my cab. You know, like... so it was just funny to me to see he had to use military comparisons for everything in the story of david and goliath it was just kind of
1: Shield funny. was as big as a tiger tank
0: yes yeah everything went back to their experience in the war So I I, I like this one. It it was a little repetitive. I can see why cutting a page wouldn't make much of a difference um, because it was just, get off my back, you giant robot. And Davey throwing himself at it and failing. And they were like, you know what? One page, eh, we can lose it. But still, it was cool to see you know, a bunch of American soldiers fighting a giant German robot complete with uniform and rifle in an issue of Weird War Tales. And the fact that it was a 1960 reprint, too, took me by surprise. So that was fun. I I dug it. And (laughs) this issue being, as Rich mentioned at the top, a bit thinner than the previous 52 big pages we're used to, we're already to the uh, end of the framing sequence. So, Rich, tell them how that goes. Well, this one they called this one Robot Fighting Men,
1: it's, you know, by Haney and Toth again. And uh, the storyteller GI wraps his stories with saying robots have weaknesses just like human GIs, and the one GI that was scared of him originally feels better, but he still wouldn't want to fight next to one, preferring flesh and blood buddies in combat. At that moment, a potato masher flies into their hole. And Storyteller throws himself on top of it, taking the full brunt of the blast. The other two roll him over to get his dog tags to give to Graves' registration and discover he was a robot.
0: I love it. (laughs) It reminds me of, you know, now we're getting into like, you know, from what I grew up with, like Creepy and Eerie Magazine and... You know which was largely based on the old EC horror mags where there was always the twist ending at the end where and she was secretly a vampire or he was the werewolf or whatever you know and that just to me i was back in pretty familiar territory and feeling like ah the book's heading in my direction now was, that, that was that uh, was a that was cool it's only a two page thing but um Again, Haney and Toth. Yeah, Haney and Toth, man, just just delivered. I, I loved it. So um, what do we got for commendations on this one? Because you can't kill Joy this. There's robots. They're fine.
1: Yeah, well, that, that's the thing about sci-fi. <laughs> I mean, everything... <laughs> you know you could you could stretch a lot of stuff you're the one that found you know the killjoy went on this one just like in the dinosaur episode you're like wrong 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 wrong
0: <laughs> yeah because i'm i'm that kind of picky nerd so i'll be covering those angles but
1: but yeah in this one i think um uh you know they were putting the word balloons um the on the wrong people in the, in the at the end of the story because uh, toth put the corporal stripes on the wrong home because the gi that was all chill about flipping out of the dead robot is calling him a kid you know so it's just wasn't paying attention to who he was painting the corporal stripes on but
0: that's a little bit killjoy territory yeah it's we can do killjoy on the on the uh the actual craftsmanship of the comic you know that's so. fine that counts but again it's it's toth that that panel where they find you know find out that you know their buddy is a is a robot this the the wreckage and the flames around it is it, it all looks great it's two pages but every panel is cool my favorite part of it though was when that potato masher grenade lands in their uh, in their trench the sound effect is just plop no exclamation point no nothing i know that's how it would probably sound <laughs> but it it just seems like such a like hey Look over here, guys. You're going to die. Like, plop. You know, and it's just it's just with all these other sound effects in just this framing sequence alone and throughout this issue that are so huge and bombastic, it's like impending death makes the sound of plop. Love <laughs> it. So there we go. And, um, you know, now that we're done with the stories, Rich can take us into what's becoming one of our favorite parts of these issues, the APO Weird War Tales letters page.
1: Yep the um the last story the last letter is from uh he's like he's one of these guys like i've never written in before yeah you, he's like essentially you yeah you messed up the the this the one story with the b-17 learn your planes you, you called a messerschmitt 109 a fox wolf 190 it says come on man and it was like aha here you go It's a fellow KJWH nitpicker bitching about misidentifying aircraft in a B-17 story. Joe responds with, hey, if that's the only fault you found, I don't feel too bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering when we would run into uh, a fellow Killjoy person for you to buddy around with uh, 50 years in the past. And we didn't have to wait long. That was, it was beautiful. Like he was so anal retentive. He says, I enclose a chart. So he sent like a chart to help them. Keep their stuff correct, like there's no way I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, this is actually you rich. <laughs> like the next time you fire up the time machine, you, you could take me along. you know, I got some ideas, but this it was just beautiful. I love that. I, I can't even pick a different letter as my my highlight because that one was what I'd been waiting for all this time, and the dude enclosed a chart. like I am sure that they kept that. For all of ten seconds.
1: <laughs> Thanks, so, jerk. Crumble. Toss.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a great letters page, but that that one letter easily wins it for me, and that uh, that'll move us along to our highlighted ads in this issue, and once again, lead them off. Okay. Well, there's
1: that one full page in the comic book that's got all the, you know, the gag gifts, you know, the weighted wristlets and the silent dog whistles and the phony cast and the X-ray specs and the magic cards. You know, you've seen all these, all this crap in, in these in these old um, these old comic books. And yeah, the, the one that that leapt out at me is the Raquel Welch pillow. Only one ninety eight. And this is what man wouldn't enjoy spending a night with Raquel Welch. Well, we can't deliver, but we can deliver the next best thing, a 12-by-24-inch inflatable pillow of Raquel made of rugged vinyl to serve as your headrest. Keep it for yourself or show her to your friends. Livens up the party when everyone sees and feels this great gag item. And yeah, okay, it, it, this is a gag gift, but I feel like there are watch lists for this kind of
0: thing. Yeah, the next best thing to Raquel like, oh Welch, God. right? And in, in the early 70s, the next best thing to Raquel Welch, when I'm thinking of that, I think think rugged vinyl that's what i think you know that'll that'll do in a pinch speaking of pinch but uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's just just creepy, <laughs> just creepy. I mean that that presages, I think, the um, you know anime character body pillows that you hear about in the on the otaku scene in Japan. It's like, yeah, yeah, don't wag your finger too hard at Japan because uh, yeah, the Raquel Welch pillow over here for a <laughs> ninety eight. You know, don't be too, too don't be too hasty to judge. So I mean, that's hard to beat. So I didn't even try to beat that ad, but I mean, maybe. But uh, once again, I'm going. For me, I'm going into a house ad solicitation for another comic book, as I know I tend to do, but just listen to this one. This is for an issue of Lois Lane, Superman's Girlfriend, and the, the ad copy is as follows. Lois Lane runs into another division of the 100, the gang that killed her sister, in her July issue, number 124. She becomes queen of the Hunter's Division, while Superman is nothing but a subjugated beast. Meanwhile, Rose Forest goes job hunting in the latest Rose and Thorn tale, leading to a lot of thorn action in an automobile factory. It's titled Murder by Motion. This ish on sale, May 23rd. Like, Lois Lane is fighting a gang that killed her sister, and she becomes a queen of some organization, while Superman is a subjugated beast. Like, I gotta tell you, I have read a bunch of these old Lois Lane books over the last uh, 20 years or so, because I found out, you know, just on the internet, how wild that title really was. And yeah, it's crazy. It, it, it's it, People need to read more of these issues, because that actually sounds like one of the milder issues of the book. So that, that just jumped out at me. Like, yeah, that sounds like an issue of Lois Lane, all right. So Definitely
1: forget how crazy a lot of the DC war books were back then you know you know jimmy olsen gets turned into like some sort of like mush monster and you know we'll call it J- J- jla's fighting a giant starfish and all
0: the, all this, yeah all i this mean stuff. there's there's that you know and jimmy olsen around this time man this is when you know don't get me going this is when jack kirby took over the jimmy olsen book and started rolling out his fourth world through the jimmy olsen title that's like dark side's first appearance is in an issue of jimmy olsen you know like yeah the superman titles in particular had all kinds of crazy stuff going on in them but really just go on to Mike's Amazing World or wherever site you 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 want to use to read plot summaries of old comics and read four or five synopsis of Lois Lane from around this time and you'll be you'll be uh, going online to find copies of these things to read in, in a heartbeat they're insane so that that's my ad that, that I'm ranting and raving about it's no Rock Hell Welch pillow <laughs> I'll grant you, but there's that. So so that's our issue. That's Weird War Tales number six. I mean, we have- um, No Q-Bird except the cover, no Heath, no Glansman. It's like, God, man. <laughs> yeah, it should have been a disaster when you think about that because um, those are some of our favorite elements of the previous five issues and, and none of them are here. But for me, I was like, hey, no 1950s reprints either because yeah, they're charming, but I, I'd be glad to leave them in the rear view from here on out. But you got bad news for me on that, right?
1: Yep, uh, I've already looked ahead to issue seven, which is actually the last of the reprint issues. Uh, issue eight will be the first full all-original uh, material book, and all of the issue, all of the stories that are reprinted in uh, Weird War number seven, I think, are from the 50s. So yeah, sorry about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so on their way out of reprint material, they just triple barrel me right in the face. I can appreciate that. I can, I, I, yeah, you know, I can get behind that. And just, like I guess said i've liked the 50s reprint stories for the most part um probably like face of a fighter and stuff like that i could have done without but um i am i guess i was just with all with the robot stuff and things going in that direction i just so i'm getting hungry for for my version of weird war tales but you know we'll see um, you've, you've keyed me into the creative lineup for the next issue, and I'll probably eat my words when, when I actually get down and reread it and check it out. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I kid the 1950s reprints, but, um, but you know, just to, spoiler alert, it sounds like a really cool issue next time around. So until we get to that issue, that was Weird War Tales number six. I'm Max. He's Rich. This is the Weird Warriors podcast. And until next time, make war no more. Thank mm-hmm. you.